down at the end of the table, away from the door, head down on the table. I thought he was drunk, passed out. I was going to wake him up, you know, call a cab and send him home. I shook him and shook him. That's when I saw, you know... Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Surprise! Welcome to a pop-up holiday episode. In the spirit of giving, we wanted to unearth a classic short story by our founding member, of Friends in Fiction, Mary Kay Andrews. It's entitled Fatal Fruitcake. If that's not enough, she's going to read it to us on this very special episode. Wonderful, right? So I'm beyond thrilled to welcome my dear friend, Mary Kay Andrews. Hello, Mary Kay. Hi, Ron. Hi, everybody out there. This is such a wonderful idea, and what a, what a special treat for people. Before we get going with you reading to us, tell us the story of this of the story. Where did it come from? Has it been in your vault for a while? And how did you come up with the idea and set it in motion? Well, yeah, it has been in the vault. It's covered in cobwebs, actually. Not really. (laughs) I wrote this Fatal Fruitcake. uh, It's a Callahan Garrity short story. I wrote it in 1997, and I wrote it for a now-defunct airline magazine. And for those who don't know, Callahan Garrity was my fictional sleuth. The first 10 novels I wrote were Callahan novels. First eight, I should say, sorry, uh, were Callahan. And Callahan was an Atlanta private investigator who had been an Atlanta police department detective. She'd been a detective. And she quits the squad and gets a job running a home cleaning business with her mother, Edna who is, uh, was based on my late mother. And uh, Edna, is, Edna is cranky and funny, and they live together, and they run this business called, the cleaning business called the House Mouse. And But Callahan has also kept her PI license. So every once in a while, she, instead of cleaning up crime, she cleans up some grime. <laughs> and the idea for the fruitcake story came about when I was, you know, I was a reporter, Ron, for years. Right. And I was a reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, but... We were living in Savannah, and I was what was called a stringer. So I wrote freelance piece, feature pieces for newspapers, including the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I wrote some stories. I think I might have written a story for the New York Times, too, about Claxton fruitcake, which were made in Claxton, Georgia. Oh, now and, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, Claxton's about, I don't know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes away from Savannah, where we were living at the time. And so I had, and you know, the, the reason why they make Claxton fruitcake in Claxton is because one of the big ingredients is pecans. And Claxton <laughs> is uh, right in the middle of pecan territory in Georgia. And so that, I had written stories about that. Then I wrote a, a story years later about how, you know, Fruitcake was sort of this, um, it was sort of this thing that was like, there was a dividing line. People, you either hate fruitcake or you love fruitcake. Right. 
And I think the the squidgy, the squidgy, squishy red and green things and fruitcake are what squick people out frequently. That's the dividing line. Boom. Yeah. So that kind of was in the background. And actually, you know, the first Christmas book I ever wrote was called Blue Christmas. And fruitcake has a prominent place in the beginning of Blue Christmas. So all of those things kind of, I think, work their way into this short story called Fatal Fruitcake. I love it. And what a great title, too. It's so well, you know what? You know I love my alliteration. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And we love that you love it because it, it comes up with the greatest ideas. <laughs> so without any further ado, listeners, I give you Fatal Fruitcake, written and read for you by our own Mary Kay Andrews. Take it away. There were 10 strands of Christmas lights, all of them hopelessly tangled into one big UL-approved snarl. Which idiot put these lights away last year, I demanded. Only six shopping days left till the big day, and as always, I felt overwhelmed with stress and anxiety. The ceaseless jangle of the radio playing an endless stream of hokey Christmas songs made my nerves raw, and my mother's mindless humming didn't help either. Can't you cut that noise off? Edna, my mother, looked up from her job, which was to hack away at the base of the tree with a dull butcher knife until the trunk fit into her rusted 40-year-old Christmas tree stand. Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer happens to be my favorite song, she said mildly. And as for the Christmas lights, you put them away last year, Miss Grinch. I muttered dark threats to myself, and when the phone rang, I didn't budge from my spot on the living room floor. Let the machine pick it up, I said. Edna and I run a cleaning business with the ridiculous name of the house mouse. Christmas is our busy season. Everybody wants a clean house for the holidays. But no, she picked it up, listened for a moment, then handed me the receiver. It's Jackie, she said. Jackie Baker is the youngest of our house mouse girls and not usually prone to emotion. But now her voice was shaking. Callahan, she said breathlessly, you gotta come. Come quick. I'm at Colony Square. That big ad agency, Schubert Showalter Quinn. I was cleaning the conference room. There's a dead guy here, Callahan. I ain't studying no stiffs. I sighed, told her to call the cops and hung up. Edna looked at me hopefully. She'd never met a homicide she didn't want to investigate. Oh yes, in addition to the cleaning business, I have a sideline. Callahan Garrity Investigations. I started the PI agency after I left the Atlanta Police Department five years ago. When business was slow, well, non-existent, I bought the house mouse. I only take cases every now and then. It looked like Jackie had found me one. The cops beat me to Schubert Showalter Quinn's offices at Colony Square in Midtown Atlanta. A uniformed officer stood in front of the heavy mahogany double doors, which were open to the hallway. Just inside, in the receptionary, I could see Jackie, ashen-faced, being interrogated by a tall, broad-shouldered detective. The cut of his black dinner jacket looked familiar. The uniformed officer stationed at the door to their office suite did his level best to turn me away. Crime scene, ma'am, he said, trying to make his pudgy, clean-shaven features look stern. I represent the woman who found the body, I told him. Which was true. I did represent Jackie as far as setting her up with house cleaning clients. This cut no mustard with the kid with the badge. I was arguing loudly when the detective finally turned around to see who was making all the racket. 
He looked annoyed and then resigned. Let her in, Hopkins, he said. Otherwise, she'll stand there bitching and moaning all night. Bucky Devers, the detective in the dinner jacket, was an old close friend from my own days with the APD. I flashed him a grateful grin and stepped into the reception area. Jackie stood up and hugged me. She was shaking, and I could tell she'd been crying. I pulled up a leather chair and sat down to hear her story. I told you I was going to do some moonlighting, remember, for extra Christmas money? I shook my head impatiently. It's fine. Just tell me what happened. Schubert, Walter Quinn had their big Christmas party here today, Jackie said. Talk about a mess. There was trash everywhere. I never seen nothing like it. Paper plates and cups, food, liquor bottles, balloons, mess everywhere. I was working my way towards a conference room where the buffet was arranged, picking up as I went. It's a big office, lots of employees. The door was closed. I opened the door to go in there and she swallowed hard. Tears sprang up in her eyes. He was sitting down at the end of the table, away from the door, head down on the table. I thought he was drunk, passed out. I was going to wake him up, you know, call a cab and send him home. I shook him and shook him. That's when I saw, you know, no gunshots or stab wounds, Bucky put in here. No real sign of a struggle. The medical examiner is in there with him now. Oh my God, Jackie whispered. It was awful. I never saw a dead body before. I didn't know how things would be. Just then, a door from the reception area opened and a petite blonde woman dressed in flowing red chiffon party pants and a hastily buttoned white lab coat came into the room. She was removing a pair of rubber gloves, which she tossed into the trash can beside the receptionist's desk. Devers, she said, ignoring Jackie and me. I knew Sonia Patterson when she was just an assistant medical examiner. She knew me, too. Death by asphyxiation, she said. No foul play. The fat jerk literally ate himself to death. Jackie gasped. What do you mean? A chunk of food got lodged in his throat, and he choked, Dr. Patterson said. It looks like fruitcake, but we'll run lab tests to be sure. That's it? Devers asked, please. No foul play? Excellent. By now, Sonia Patterson had removed her lab coat. For this, I left the medical society dance. Unbelievable. Underneath the lab coat, she was wearing a sequined strapless top that showed plenty of cleavage. You can wrap up the crime scene by yourself, right? She asked. I'll have the paperwork done for you by Monday. Accidental death. She looked closely at Devers, noticing now that he too was dressed for a party. Nice dinner jacket, she said. Then she was gone. Devers stood up, stretched and grinned. We got lucky this time. Tonight's the Police Benevolent Association Christmas party. They're raffling off a new Jeep at midnight. If I get these guys moving, we'll be out of here by 10 tops. He got Jackie's phone number and address and promised to call if he had any more questions. What about the cleaning? She wanted to know. Can I finish? He thought for a moment. Yeah, what the hell? Dr. Patterson says it's accidental. It's accidental. Don't need a homicide this close to Christmas, right? Jackie made a face. It was clear she'd had enough of Schubert show Walter Quinn for one night, but she was a pro. She squared her shoulders, picked up a cleaning caddy inside. I'll get the bathrooms now. Could you let me know when the um, body is gone? Bucky nodded. He was busily jotting notes. I stood up and got ready to leave, but I dreaded going back to all that forced holiday cheerfulness at home. By the way, I said, trying to sound offhanded, who was the dead guy? Mail clerk, Bucky said, still writing, Moreland Reynolds, 22. 
His aunt is married to one of the big guys at this agency, Harrison Showalter. Kid's sort of a dim bulb from what the family says. Uncle Harry hired him as a favor to the wife. He laughed briefly and shook his head. What, I said sourly, what's the joke? Death by fruitcake, Deaver said, laughing again. How would you like to have that on your death certificate? The conference room doors opened then, and the ambulance attendants wheeled out the stretcher. Moreland Reynolds was zipped into a pasteful maroon body bag. One of the attendants, a gangly, pimply-faced kid with a braised cap on backwards, stopped to high-five with Bucky. Hey, Detective Deavers, he said, you hear what happened to this poor stiff? I heard, Bucky said, grinning. Could have been worse, though. How's that, the kid said. Could have been one of them senseless drive-by murders. You know, somebody drives by, chunks a fruitcake at you, and peels off. Hey, the kid said, slapping his side. That's a good one. Drive-by fruitcake killing. Wait till I tell that one to the dispatcher. Everybody was laughing except for me. I happen to like fruitcake, I said, to nobody in particular. After the body was gone, Bucky gathered up his notebook and got ready to leave. It's okay if you want to hang around and wait for your friend, he said, but no snooping. This is a closed case, understand? Perfectly, I said. He was still laughing, shaking his head as he went out the door. Death by fruitcake. What will I tell the guys at the party? As soon as he was gone, I went into the conference room. It was, as Jackie had promised, a mess. Nearly empty platters of food were strewn around a long, polished walnut table. All that was left of the honey-baked ham was some greasy rind. There was a half-full bowl of potato salad, some stale-looking rolls, and the dregs of a cheese platter decorated with stray grapes and a couple of rogue strawberries. A credenza held what was left of the desserts. A single slice of pound cake, a few broken sugar cookies, a foil tray smeared with what looked like chocolate icing, And yes, there on a white plate stood a shimmering jewel of a fruitcake. Its top was studded with glistening pecans, whole dates, figs, and honeyed apricots. It was a thing of beauty, that fruitcake, but only one slice was missing. I heard a noise in the the doorway. Jackie pushed a cleaning cart into the room. I've been dreading coming back here, she admitted. It's spooky. I'll stay and help, I told her. Maybe if I stall long enough, Edna will trim the tree without me. That would be great, Jackie said. I'm no scaredy cat, but I really don't want to be here by myself. She looked distastefully at the end of the table, where a half-full plate of food had been pushed out of the way. There were fingerprint powder smudges on and around the table and chair, and a chalk outline on the tabletop to show where the body had rested. That's where I found him, she whispered. I am never going to get that out of my mind. Don't look at the table, I suggested. I'll clear the food away. You move the chairs and start vacuuming. We worked fast. I tossed all the food remnants in the trash, wiped off the table, and moved to the credenza. I tossed out everything but the fruitcake. Waste not, want not, Edna, the child of the Depression, always says. I picked up the cake. Bucky was right. The thing was heavy as a concrete block, but handsomer. The fruits and nuts had been arranged in patterns like flowers. I held it up to Jackie. You want to take this home? She shuddered. Are you kidding? That thing killed a boy. I don't want no killer fruitcake. Throw that thing in the trash. She was right. I was just about to toss it in the trash when I smelled something. I sniffed the cake, set it back down, 
picked a pecan off the top and put it to my nose. I held the fruitcake out to Jackie again. Does this smell like any fruitcake you ever smelled? Reluctantly, she walked over and sniffed and wrinkled her nose. Hmm, smells like my grandmama's spare room closet. I bent over and inhaled again. You're right, I told her. It smells funny. Carefully, I set the cake back down. I picked a tiny morsel and put it on my tongue. The taste was sweet and then bitter like chemicals. I spat it out into the trash and headed to the water cooler for a long drink. I knew they were having the police benevolent party at Manuel's Tavern, a local watering hole that's a favorite hangout for cops, newspaper reporters, and doctors and nurses from Grady Memorial's emergency room. I tried calling Deaver's cell phone, but my call directly went to voicemail. So I called Manuel's and told the bartender who I was looking for and that he was probably in the back room at the PBA party. It took Bucky 15 minutes to come to the phone. This better not be you, Garrity, he said. It's me, I admitted. Now don't hang up. It's about that fruitcake. It smells funny. There's something wrong with it, Bucky. I think it was poisoned. What? He had to shout to make himself heard over the din at the party. All fruitcake smells funny, Garrity. My great aunt used to soak hers in pear brandy that came over on the Mayflower. Get off the phone and out of that office before I send uniforms over there to throw you out. The kid choked, accidental death, case closed. We'll see about that, I said. When I got home to Candler Park, the lights of the Christmas tree glowed through the front window. Can't wait to see what the power bill will be next month, I groused. I unplugged the tree, put the fruitcake on the kitchen table, then took myself off to bed, visions of cheeseburgers dancing in my head. I'd forgotten to eat dinner. When I went into the kitchen the next morning, Neva Jean McComb, one of the house mouse girls, was sitting at the kitchen table reading the newspaper. She had a can of Mountain Dew in one hand and a huge slab of fruitcake in the other. The slice was headed straight for her gaping red lipstick mouth. Don't, I cried, knocking it out of her hand and onto the floor. Hey, Neva Jean screeched. It was just one itty-bitty piece. There's still a whole cake left, Callahan. Jeez. I poured myself a cup of coffee with trembling hands and sat down beside her. That cake is poisoned, I explained. A guy died eating it last night. Jeez, Neva Jean hollered. She shoved the plate away in revulsion. What's it doing here? Evidence, I told her. I'm going to prove to Bucky Deavers and Sonia Patterson that Moreland Reynolds, the victim, did not choke to death. The aluminum platters I tossed in the trash the night before were labeled with the caterer's name, which was Festivus. I looked up the number in the yellow pages and gave them a jingle. Festivus, a bored-sounding man answered. Let us be a party to your next affair. Garrity here, Atlanta police, I said, trying to sound official without actually claiming to be a cop. Your people catered a party last night at Schubert Showalter Gwen. Someone died. We have reason to believe your fruitcake was responsible. Wait just a minute, the man said, his voice rising. I don't like your tone. For your information, our Mr. Terrence was right here in our kitchen last night, supervising the salmon and croot. No, no, I said quickly. I meant the real fruitcake, you know, with the nuts and candied fruit. Oh, the man said. But we at Festivus don't do fruitcake. It's such a cliche. We do an espresso mousse. We do guava tartlets. We do baba on rum and tiramisu, but we don't do fruitcake. He hung up. All that talk of mousse and tartlets made me hungry. 
I looked longingly at the fruitcake. Instead, I ate a bowl of crap Captain Crunch. The receptionist at Schubert Showalter Quinn was named Jennifer. She lived in Virginia Highlands. When I told her why I was calling that Moreland Reynolds had died from eating fruitcake, there was a faint giggle at the other end of the phone. It's not funny, I said hotly. Where did that fruitcake come from? The caterers say they didn't bring it. I have no idea, she said. This time of year, clients and suppliers are always sending fruit boxes and trays of goodies to the office. Anybody could have put that cake on the buffet table. I glanced at the fruitcake, noticing for the first time the platter it had been placed upon. A modest oval dish with a border of golden wheat sheaves. Gas station china. I'd grown up with the stuff. No, I told her this is definitely homemade. I described the cake plate to her. Oh, that sounds like Carlene in accounting, she said. She's always bringing in baked goods. Oh, dear, Carlene said when I told her why I was calling. This is embarrassing. One of my neighbors gave me that as a gift, but my kids wouldn't eat fruitcake at gunpoint. So I brought it to work. I had no idea. Moreland Reynolds was kind of a pest, you know, but now I feel just awful. You really think it was a fruitcake? Looking that way, I told her, my voice grim. The name of Carlene's neighbor was Trisha Finnerty. But the babysitter said she was out Christmas shopping at the mall. Wouldn't be home till noon. I called my friend Linda. She's a chemist with one of the big drug companies here in town. Linda, I said, if I brought you a slice of fruitcake, could you test it in your lab and tell me what's wrong with it? Hell, she said after she stopped laughing. I can tell you what's wrong with fruitcake over the phone. It's all those red and green cherries. Do you have any idea what those things are made of? Very funny, I said. My sides are splitting. Okay, she said, relenting. When do you want to do this? Right away, I said, before it starts to go bad. You obviously know nothing about fruitcake, Linda said. The things never go bad. They have the half-life of plutonium. Okay, I'll meet you at the lab in 30 minutes. By the time I got there, Linda was gowned and masked like a surgeon. While I watched, she took a sliver of the fruitcake and put it in a test tube. Then she added liquid from a beaker and added a stopper with a length of thin rubber tubing that led to yet another beaker on a stand. She held the test tube over a Bunsen burner. The liquid began boiling almost at once, and within minutes I could see the empty beaker cloud up with a gas. A sharp smell filled the room. Tetrachloride benzene, Linda announced. The person who got a mouthful of this was very, very sick before he died. And if he digested any, his liver should look like a piece of Swiss cheese. I swallowed hard, thinking about how close I had come to eating the fruitcake myself. What's this tetra what's this used for, I asked. She shrugged. Industries use it to manufacture fluorocarbons, and sometimes it's used in fire extinguishers. Oh yeah, people used to use it as a spot remover before the EPA outlawed it. You really can't buy it anymore. I borrowed a pair of rubber gloves to wear while rewrapping the fruitcake. Then I called Trisha Frinnerty from my cell phone. The fruitcake I gave Carlene? She sounded confused. The mall will do that to you. Oh yeah, she said slowly. I'd almost forgotten. My My husband is a dentist. One of his patients, old Mrs. Popovic, gave it to him. So he brought it home to me as a joke. He knows how I feel about fruitcake. Elena Popovic lived in Decatur. The house was tiny with peeling green paint and a bright blue front door. A strand of blinking multicolored lights outlined the doorway, and a huge plastic reindeer stood on her minuscule front porch. I knocked and waited. Five minutes. Seven minutes. Finally, a voice. Who is it? A voice called from the other side of the door. 
It's Callahan Garrity, I said. I've come to see about your fruitcake. The doorknob turned then, and the door moved inward by an inch, and I could see a latched security chain. You like fruitcake? The voice was heavily accented, Slavic sounding. I adore it, I said servantly. She gave me a quizzical look. Okay, she said finally, and she unlatched the door and let me in. Elena Popovic was stooped, nearly double, over an aluminum walker. She had snowy white hair, braided and pinned around her head like a wreath. Her eyes behind the thick lens glasses were a milky brown. She was 90 if she was a day. I make fruitcake myself, she said proudly. Come, I show. The kitchen was the size of my broom closet, but it was spotless and smelled like bleach, a scent I love better than roses. Mrs. Popovic stood in the center like the captain on the bow of a warship. She pointed toward the chip formica countertop. There, swathed in plastic wrap, stood a whole row of fruitcakes, half a dozen in all. May I? She nodded, so I unwrapped one and inhaled deeply. Mmm, I said, try not to choke. What's your secret? Good flour, she said, beaming. Raisins, figs, dates, nuts, whiskey. I don't see so good to cook no more, but fruitcake I know by heart. Ease up here, she said, tapping her forehead. Whiskey, I said. Is that what you soak the cake in? Of course, she said. Elena Popovic does not buy whiskey to drink, only for fruitcake at Christmas. Can I see what kind you use? I asked eagerly. I want to make mine just the way you do. She looked perplexed. Sure. Then she shuffled over to an old-fashioned metal wall cabinet and opened it. Her fingertips flew over the jumble of boxes and bottles and cans. He's gone, she said, turning to me with a frown. Are you sure, I asked? What kind of bottle is it in? Maybe I could look. No, she said, and then the brown eyes sparkled. Now I remember. Gripping the walker with one hand, she bent over and grunting with the effort of it, opened the cupboard under the sink. She rummaged a moment, breathing heavily, and then came up with a flat-sided brown flask with a screw cap. Whiskey, she said, and handed it to me with a flourish. I unscrewed the cap and sniffed expectantly, felt the disappointment wash over me. Whiskey it was, probably old granddad. The label was long gone. Let it me put it back for you, I offered. Before she could refuse, I was down on my knees with the cupboard door open. Like me, she kept her mop bucket under the sink, along with a can of Comet and a box of SOS pads. It was dark under there, so it took a moment before my fingers closed on the bottle. It was the same shape and color as the bourbon bottle. I unscrewed the cap and sniffed. My nostrils burned from the proximity. I smiled a secret smile. Then I stood up at the same time slipping the bottle into the pocket of my skirt. Elena Popovic didn't want to part with her fruitcakes. It's Christmas gift, she explained, for Dr. Paperboy Mailman. But I drive a hard bargain. For $120 in cash, she let me talk her out of her toxic treasures. She looked puzzles as I loaded them into a paper grocery sack. What do you want with Zeke's fruitcake, she asked. Oh, I said brightly, they're presents. Everybody loves fruitcake. On the way home, I stopped at a dumpster and back at the Euclid Avenue Yacht Club in Little Five Points, just around the corner from the house I share with Edna. The fruitcakes made a loud thud as they hit the pile of empty bottles and cans inside the dumpster. I uncapped Mrs. Popovic's brown flask and poured the tetrachloride benzene on the kudzu patch at the side of the parking lot, 
It seemed to wither as I watched. Suddenly, inexplicably, I felt myself to begin to glow with a long-repressed holiday spirit. Someone had died recently, which was sad, but I had saved a little old lady from being prosecuted for an innocent mistake. I got back in my van and turned the radio up as loud as it would go. They were playing my favorite Elvis song. I'll have a blue Christmas without you, I warbled. I glanced in my rearview mirror and caught, out of the corner of my eye, a flash of moonlight. I turned around to get a better look. A homeless man, one of the ones who was always hanging around the neighborhood, mooching change for beer and cigarettes and muttering vague threats to anybody who turned him away, was clambering up the side of the dumpster. As I watched, he did a boozy swan dive down into it. The sick feeling in the pit of my stomach wasn't from the aroma of decaying garbage. I jumped out of the van and ran over to the dumpster. I could hear him in there rooting around in the bottles and cans and trash. Soon I was dodging empty ketchup bottles and and rotten cabbage heads as they flew out of the bin. Hey, buddy, I called anxiously. A grizzled head poked up over the rim of the dumpster. Sure enough, he was holding one of Elena Popovic's masterpieces in his right hand. Get your own dumpster, he snarled. This one's mine. Mister, please, I begged, don't eat that fruitcake. Fruitcake, eh, he said. My old lady used to make fruitcake every Christmas. Put a fifth of Jack Daniels in it. Don't eat that fruitcake, I said desperately. I saw it first, he said, taunting me now. It's all mine. He opened his mouth wide, ready to sink uneven yellow teeth into his toothsome fine. His eyes widened. He sniffed, and his eyes narrowed suspiciously. He sniffed again. Hey, he said, outraged. There ain't no whiskey in here. The fruit cake went whizzing past my head, grazing me slightly. I sighed, rubbing my bleeding ear, then picked up the fruitcake and threw it into the back of the van. Some things, I decided, you just can't throw away. The end. I love it. (laughs) What a great story. Every part of it. Thank you so much for sharing that with everybody. It's just a perfect little gift for us to have and and give to our listeners. Tell me a little bit about fruitcake. You didn't say whether you're a lover or a hater. (laughs) I like... Fruitcake only if it's made with the things. I, I just don't like those red and green things. <laughs> right. I don't know what they are either. <laughs> I mean, a, a, a fruitcake that has like dried apricots and and what and candied nuts and figs and dates. Yeah, and I have had that kind of a fruitcake. And I think I made one one time a long time ago and I soaked mine in bourbon. But I couldn't tell you where the recipe is. So the fruitcake I like, I guess, is just a thing of my imagination. I do not put the secret tetrachloride benzene in mine. No. So it's a warning to everybody out there. Please check your whiskey bottles before adding <laughs> it to your recipe. <laughs> That's right. It's great. Great. So at the at the end of this story, there is actually in the e-version, there's a recipe yes. for a fruitcake. Can you tell us about that, where it came from? No. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> oh, which you already told me. That's true. I don't, uh, you know, I'm sure somebody gave it to me. It's like the, like the short story itself. It's been in the vault for a really long time. Right, right. Okay. So, well, when this airs, maybe we'll just post the recipe on the Facebook yeah, page and yeah. everybody can have at it and make their, make your favorite fruitcake. 
yeah, just make sure that what you put in there is whiskey and not poison. <laughs> right, right, right. Thank you so much for sharing the story with everybody. You're the best. And you know, Merry we all Christmas. wish you and your family a fruitful holiday season. <laughs> and we, we're holding your family tight this year. Oh, especially. thank you, Ron. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Love you guys. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. Remember, you can always find all the books by every Friends and Fiction Writers Block podcast guest, past and present, in the Friends and Fiction Bookshop.org shop. All sales placed there help to fund Friends and Fiction, and a portion of each and every sale goes straight into the pockets of indie booksellers nationwide. Since its inception, Bookshop.org has raised more than $16 million for indie bookstores. Shop small, shop local, from the convenience of your screen with Bookshop.org, and tell them Friends and Fiction sent you. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.